go back to, to verse 9. I, we, we looked at verse 8, and there was some... Verse 8 is where we start really getting... Well, we'll back up to verse 8 a little bit. Verse 8 is where we started getting into different translations, where they had differences in the translation. Um, and if you notice verse 8... It says, just as no one has power over the wind to restrain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. Just as no one, has, no one can be discharged during the battle, so wickedness cannot rescue the wicked. So it's, it's a, all in all, it's a pretty good translation. That I've read that out of the New English translation up on the screen. Um, but in, in this idea, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Now, that's the word ruach in the Hebrew which can be translated spirit, can be translated wind. Just like the word pneuma. This is kind of where we ended up last week, remember? Like the word pneuma in the Greek can be translated wind, can be translated spirit. And we did look at what Jesus told Nicodemus in the book of John where he says the wind blows where it wills. And you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so uh, he might have had this in mind to some degree when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He might have had this particular passage in mind, or at least this particular verse in mind, where no one has power of the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Now, it's, it is talking about death here in, in the context so it could probably refer to the spirit of a person and that no one has the power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Um, but it could also, remember we, remember we talked about this last week, remember the second primary and secondary type of translations? Remember we were talking about that, Cindy? Uh, if Just nod your head and say yes anyway. It doesn't. Okay, perfect. But you know, we were talking about because primarily, um, it's a human application. I think that's, that's the plain reading of the text. It would be talking about a human application. Um, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Um, and I think the ESV says a little bit differently. The NIV says a little bit differently. Um, Don's looking. You can just read the first part of verse 8 for us if you could. Please, Don. And no one has power over the wind to retain the spirit. And no one has power over the wind Okay. It uses wind. The New American Standard uses wind. I think the ESV... Spirit. Okay. Um, he has wind here in the... Or not he. The translators of the NET, New English Translation, use the word wind too. Um, which could be, again, so here's the problem with translations. Which one's right? It's a wind or spirit. It, it could, Well, and they are. The wind is uncontainable, right? Um, I think it was Jeremiah that, that talked about the, the generation that sowed to the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. 
And so uh, th that's one of the illustrations, but it's also the, the wind, the, new, the ruach, excuse me, Hebrew, uh, the immaterial part of man. I touched on this on Sunday where we must worship God in spirit and in truth in John chapter 4. And as I mentioned on Sunday, there are different views of how man is understood, right? Is man body, soul, spirit? Is man body, soul? Is man body, spirit? Uh, what about the will? which I also believe to be the spirit, or the heart, which I also believe to be the spirit. What about the strength that Jesus talks about in Matthew 23? Um, there's, there's a whole lot more that the Bible uses to describe man, and are these hard and fast categories, or are these just terms that are used to describe either the, the material or the immaterial part of man? Which to me, that seems to make the most sense um, because I've read a lot of different views on how different commentators, different theologians, even philosopher, Christian philosophers understand man and most of the time they all, they all disagree with each other. Um, so if you feel like you have this nailed Good for you. How's that? Um, and it, it, again, part of my problem is I keep reading, right? I, I had this all figured out until I started reading more, right? And then everything just kind of blew apart. But I, but I think it is talking about the non-material aspect of our personhood. Primary interpretation. Is this starting to ring a little bit more of a bell for you, Cindy? And then the secondary would be the the spirit of God, whom you the the spirit is like the wind. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who was born of the wind. Well, wait a minute, spirit. Okay. So, um, and no one has power in the day of death. So just like there is no relief from war, just as no one can be discharged from battle as you have up in the screen. Um, it's Now, of course, there's, I find this, this idea of being discharged from battle, I find that to kind of almost be a bit of a problem because Deuteronomy 20 gives conditions. We're not going to take the time to turn there. But it gives conditions for those who are excused from warfare. One, if you haven't blessed your house, uh, you're excused from going to war because you could die in battle, and why would you want to just build a brand new house and then have another man bless it? What other thing is, uh, gosh, it just came in and out of my mind. Um, if you have planted a vineyard but not harvested from it, you were excused. Um, now, that might work really well for you if you had very slow-growing vineyards, right? But if you had planted a vineyard and not harvest from it, um, you were excused more. And, and so this, to me, is a really more of a problematic type of uh, proverb. 
Uh, but remember, Proverbs are not necessarily universally etched in stone. They describe things that are generally true, right? And that's what we have to remember what we are looking at in reading this particular book. Um, and so, and the wicked will not be delivered. I'm reading out the New King James. The wicked will not, be, will not deliver those who are given to it. So you have a comparison here. Uh, I should have read the whole verse for you. No one has power of the spirit to retain the spirit. No one has power in the day of their death. They will not be released from that war. Now that war could be, uh, it could be a metaphor. Or Paul picked up on this, didn't he? He talked about the spirit and the flesh doing what? Old King James actually uses the word warring, at war with each other, Romans 7. Um, and that could possibly be what Solomon might be referring to here, is that inner war between our conscience. And you, you've all seen the cartoons that so well illustrated that theological idea where you had the angel and the devil sitting on the shoulder of the cartoon character, right? And that could be one way of describing what Solomon is really referring to because he says, and it's referring back to the day of death and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. In other words, if you're given to wickedness, it's not going to deliver you. Now, he's going to flip this on its side in just a minute in this particular chapter. But he does tell us that, that wickedness is not going to deliver. He can't, you, you know, is, even in, in wicked regimes, wicked rulers, and We've seen our fair share, haven't we? Not only presidents, but 435 members seated in Congress, along with 100 senators. Or is it 102? Does, does D.C. have? They don't, do they? So it's 100. Yeah. So 100 senators, plus I won't get into the Supreme Court of the United States, but never mind. Um, we won't go there. Um, nothing irritates me more than legislation from the bench, but that's just a pet peeve of mine. Your mileage may vary, and I don't care if it's conservative or liberal. It both drives me crazy because it, it extends beyond the Constitution, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but wickedness will not deliver those that are given to it. And this idea of giving yourself over to wickedness is this, I like the term. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. I like the term because I think it's a great illustration of what we as Christians should be doing in giving ourselves to the truth. But those who have given themselves over, submitted themselves over, or um, as the, the New English translation says, verse 8, it's too bad I don't have a little pointer here. Right next to where the 27 is, can you... Can, Thanks, Bill. Um, can you see that, Bill? 
wickedness cannot rescue the wicked. Is that better for y'all? Kenneth? How's that? Mr. Perky. The other Mr. Perky. Okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah, that looks pretty clear from here. Of course, I'm, look where I'm sitting compared to, anyway, sorry. You could. But if you move up, Brian, so does Cousin Tim has to move up too. Uh, but thanks. So I like how he kind of segues out of this idea of death, but he's still kind of talking about it somewhat in verse 9. And in verse 9 in the new King James, right, it says, all this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. Um, and this, this phrase, done under the sun, we've seen it before, right? We've read it before. Uh, chapter 113, chapter 114, chapter 217, and that was about all I wanted to put in my notes. But anyway, but it's, it really, this phrase when you go back and read some of those passages, this phrase, this idea of under the sun, really it, it has to do with humanity and the human perspective, but I think it's more than that. Remember we talked about this a long, long time ago when we were at chapter 1, right? It, it talks about the course of human events, yes, but it, it is also in recognition of God's sovereignty within. At least that's how I'm looking at this. Now, even in that, in saying that, because I believe in God's sovereignty, but what fascinates me about God's sovereignty is that it appears, anyway, that he, he allows humanity or he allows each and every one of us a lot of latitude. And that's what this is kind of going to go into in this particular passage. Or I like to say he has a very long leash. And he allows us to kind of, you know, and, and, and there are times I just feel like God's leash for some people is a bit too long. Don't you feel that way? Now, you probably never feel that way about yourself, do you? You know, but it, it does seem at times that God's leash is a bit too long for someone else. But, um, and so, um, he says, all this I've seen, applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. Or I do like what the NET says here, while applying my mind to everything that happens in this world. So you see how he took a little bit of liberty with that. Uh, although this is supposed to be a fairly dynamic uh, translation, maybe not quite as word for word, but I haven't read all the notes. Um, Brian looks like he's reading the notes now, but I haven't read all the notes as far as, you know, the justification. By the way, this is netbible.org if you're interested. Um, and I go to it in, in, uh, when I'm preparing for a message, not every week, but I go to it often enough because I just want to read a different translation perspective. That's all I'm doing. So um, 
And, but this is where it gets kind of interesting because it says sometimes one person, it's up on the screen, N-E-T, sometimes one person dominates other people to their harm. All right? Uh, the New King James says there is, another, there is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Now, from what I could tell, and believe me, I don't know a whole lot about Greek, but I, don't, I know even less about Hebrew. And I'm kind of content to keep it that way because Hebrew is so difficult. Um, but what I have read from those who are, are well-versed in the language, this could be translated, translated either way. And, of course, you, you rarely get a full explanation of why they would say to their own hurt, that is, the ruler's own hurt, or to the one who he is ruling over. So this could be looked at either way. Either way, let's unpack it. I'm seeing that look on your face. Um, there is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. In other words, to the ruler's hurt. Let's cover that one first. Why would that be the case? How would that be the case? What is that anticipating? What is that gesturing toward? What is it implying without directly saying it? Because we've read other parts of the Bible, we should be able to put some of the pieces together. Does that make sense? There's a hint. Anybody thoughts on that? I'm sorry, what? They would revolt. So in other words, the king could set himself up for failure. That's true. Uh, or his son, as in the case that, well, actually it was Rehoboam who kind of did it to himself. Right? We kind of talked about that. Because Rehoboam wanted to be even harder on the nation than his father Solomon had been. And the ten tribes said, we've had enough of this. But what else? How, how else would a ruler do that? To, no, that's true. But how, how else is there another way that a ruler would do this to his own hurt? But what's interesting about this is he's going to explore. I'm going to jump ahead and jump back in this passage. Okay. Um, look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. What's the place of holiness? It could be a reference to the temple. So this could be a reference to Jerusalem. And they were forsake, forgotten in the city where they had, had so done. This also was vanity. And then he goes on to talk about, I'm trying to find it here. Um, Verse 14, there is a vanity that occurs on the earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. And he's saying that's vanity. Um, so, you, you have this, this strange kind of scenario where it, and so, Psalm 73 covers this. I'm not going to take the time to go look at Psalm 73. But it asks the question, why does the wicked prosper? 
and, and the righteous suffer? It's a, it's a really, to me, it's a very important question. Um, and he's talking about a man who rules over another to his own hurt. He may not get reelected. Or his son becomes such a, a fool that he loses 10 out of the 12 tribes. Or um, he has more trouble than he knows what to deal with in his constituencies, right? Or he might get away with it, at least it appears on this earth. But being unjust, and that's what this is referring to, being unjust uh, is implying that there is a judge that this ruler will one day stand before. It doesn't say it directly, but that's why I said, we've read enough of the Bible, we can read that into this, can we not? Now, did Solomon read any of the Bible? I know it's a hard question. He probably did. He was probably pretty well versed in Torah. And probably familiar with, with some of the other early, they're known as prophetic writings, actually, in Hebrew categories. Um, so, yes, he was probably well familiar with them. Um, and so, but notice then you have this. So, a ruler can rule over another person to their own hurt. I've seen it happen. I, I've seen it happen with churches. I have a saying on that, Har, that's just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, really. And I, I, try, to, I try to apply that in a lot of different ways. Now, what's that? Oh, I think it is because it, it, it requires the, um, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, which is what? Self-control which is, I think if there's a fruit of the Spirit that's lacking in the church today, I think self-control would be one of the major ones. That's just my thought. You know, your mileage may vary, right? But I, I think that's part of it is, is we don't see the self-control. Um, and that's part of prudence or, or temperance. Um, and just being able to, to be a bit more measured. Um, because we live in a culture that says you can say whatever you want to say, when you want to say it, how you want to say it, and you've got to be able to receive it and still be my friend, even though I can say it any way I want to. And the heart doesn't work that way. It, it just doesn't. You know? Um, so... Here's where it gets a little more difficult. Then again, verse 10, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also was vanity. Um, what in the world is he talking about here? And look, look how it's translated in the new NET, not only that, I have seen the wicked approaching and entering the temple. And as they left the holy temple, they boasted in the city that they had done so. It's a totally different translation, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to take the time. 
Like I said, if you're really interested in this, netbible.org, and see those numbers. Bill, you can do some pointing for me again if you like. Thank you. Um, read their notes, and, and they, they will at least explain why they went in this direction. All right? Um, kind of fun, but uh, I, not, not here, not now. How's that, you know? Because I, I hate having to justify other people's arguments. That's why I don't teach books. I, I did that twice when, I, when we first were here. I taught two books on like a men's study. I thought after the se- halfway through the second one, I thought this is not for me. You know, I don't want to defend somebody else's argument, uh, especially if you don't agree with it. You know, so you know, it's hard enough if you do agree with it, right? Um, It could be. It could be. Again, wisdom literature. Well, isn't all of evil evil being evil against God? Yeah, I I think it is. um, Because it, what is it? Going back to Good News Club, sin is anything that you say, do, or think that that, uh, offends God, essentially. Uh, that was the definition they had of sin. Um, but, uh, but notice it says that they are forgotten in the city where they have so done. And he refers to this as vanity or futility. Um, although the NET calls it an enigma. Uh, or this strange thing that doesn't make sense. But it's this idea of, of uh, it probably refers, and I think the good example of this would be the Pharisees. I don't want to pick on the Pharisees, but the, the New Testament does so often. And how that when they gave their money, they would throw the money in, into the uh, jars that made a big noise so everybody knew that they were given a lot of money. Really, a comparison between the widow, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the uh, Sadducees and the widow with just two mites. All she had was two mites, but she gave everything she had. And what's interesting about this is that widow is remembered. And Jesus said about that widow that she will be commemorated uh, because of what she has done. And we think of her, what do you know about Joe Blow, a Pharisee who gave a bunch of money right before she came in? Absolutely nothing, right? Because they've been forgotten. Um, you know, as I think about this, though, too, is that what I, uh, when you think about the people you love, what a, to me anyway, what a motivator to want to call them to repentance, to forsake of evil ways so that they're not forgotten. I, I think, you know, I think, again, that's a secondary application from this, but I think I think it's, I think it's there. I think it's right in front of our faces. Um, you know, I think of people that I love that I 
don't know that are in the faith, and I don't want them to be forgotten. You know? Um, but again, this is the example of, of those who've come and gone from the holy place. So they were practicing some form of, I'll say the R word, religion. They had some type of a practice. Um, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the Son of Man is fully set in them to do evil. Uh, though a sinner does evil a hundred times in his, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. So he's, he's talking about this idea of those who are evil and they, they tend to prosper, right? And that's what, what and because I, you know, I think about this, you know, I, I think of some of these prosperity doctrine guys. And I don't want to be careful with this, but at the same time, it's like, they, they don't seem to represent anything close to the gospel that I read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I don't know what they're reading. I don't, I, I, but it, to me, it's another gospel. And what did Paul say about the, someone who comes and preaches another gospel? says it twice in the book of Galatians, let them be cursed. Which is a nice way of saying, let them go to hell. That's what he's really saying. You know, but they, he didn't mince words. They just said things a little differently then than, than we do now. Right? But, um, you know, at, at, at the same time, it's, it's this, this, almost like this paradox that where you have a, an evil person a sinner who does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged. Um, and uh, I think we always want, I think we always want to get a bit of our pie in the sky here to use actually a, um, a faith prosperity preacher's terminology. You know, the, remember the old, some of you guys might remember, they have never heard of this, where you want your pie in the sky or do you want it here on earth, right? And I, but I think, I think we all want a little bit of that. Now, do we want a heavenly blessing? Do, want a, do we want a blessing we, we, and some type of, you know, tangible blessing. Peter did. You know, what about us, Lord? We're following you. We've given up everything to follow you, right? Do we want a heavenly blessing? I, th I think we do, but I think sometimes we want, we'd, we'd like the down payment or the earnest money, right? Which we do have, don't we? Who is the earnest? What is the earnest money? I already gave it away. Who is the earnest money? It's the Holy Spirit. And so, those blessings, okay, we, we who are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, which is just an incredible game changer that I, I can't even, I, 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 even in saying that, I'm, I'm underplaying it. 
But it's an incredible game changer because, because one, we have the, the, the guarantee, Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, we have the guarantee of heaven uh, because of the Holy Spirit, which is our earnest, kind of that deposit. And, but it's a game changer, and, but it changes everything about who we are and what we've been called to be. It changes everything. But often, we don't listen to the voice of the Spirit because we're too busy listening to other voices. And I'm so tempted to name them, but I'm not going to. I'll let the Spirit of God name them for you because they may be different voices than what are, what are running around in my own head. But because of that, we, we live by a completely different construction of what we believe to be truth, what we believe is not true, what we consider to be virtue, what we consider to be vice. We live by a completely different set of rules that are really bound together for us in, in this book. And um, and sometimes I think, and, it, and again, it goes back to my conversation. We talked about this a little bit. The conversation I had with the Benedictine monk, right? And... He said to me without saying to me, in other words, I thought about this more after we got done talking, is when you, when you look at the, the prosperity of evil, maybe we're just looking at the wrong thing. Maybe we're just looking at the wrong thing. I know Brian's like, okay, now we go to the back of the book, right? I'm kidding. Uh, I had to go there. But I, maybe we're just looking at the wrong thing. And when I see evil prospering, does it make me mad? Yeah. But as I've said, I haven't said this in a while, so it's probably good to say it every so often. It makes me angry. But I'm not so sure that that type of anger is a luxury that we can afford as Christians. Because I think we end up taking that anger and running with it in the flesh rather than submitting it to the spirit. And I, I think that's, that's where we get into trouble. That's where we, we become mean, vindictive, um, bitter. Um, and it's all rooted in what Solomon, I think, is talking about here. And yeah, it does make me angry, but what do I do with that anger? And I've talked to people, and again, this was at my last church, but you'd bring up a certain person, a certain topic, and to watch them almost seethe with anger. And then, of course, they, I, I even had one tell me it was righteous anger. And it didn't look like it. And it didn't feel like it. Um, but what happens because the sentence uh, is not executed at once for a crime, the human heart 
is encouraged to do evil. Um, that's really, a, that's really a, a, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I have some, I'm actually going to turn to some other verses. You just can't have enough Bibles sometimes, right? Forget the guitar thing, right? You know, sometimes you just can't have enough Bibles. Um, Matthew 24. Now, Matthew 24 is, to me, just a fascinating uh, passage that often doesn't get enough play. He's given us an outline for the end times in Matthew 24, personally. And he says in verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if the evil, this is the point here, but if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day that he is not looking for him and in an hour that he's not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so this is here at the end of Matthew 24. This is this incredible warning to not mistake. With that, because we're almost running out of time, I'm not going to turn there, but I will uh, refer you to Second Peter. Um, where it really talks about those who ask, what is the sign, where, where is the signs of his coming? You know, and ever since, you know, the, the world has began, it just continues as it, as it continues. And uh, they do not count God's delay as, as him being patient. Well, I better turn there. Uh, sorry. Tim? few minutes John or Brian okay <laughs> well I hope I brought the checkbook uh, <laughs> yeah you know how it is um, okay verse 8 says in 2nd Peter chapter 3 but, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as a one day. I'm not going there tonight. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What? His promise for what? His promise for what? His promise for his return. Right, Ken? Right, Ken? That's where you were going, right? His promise for his return, right? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. In other words, Jesus is not a slacker, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That all, in my opinion, means whosoever will. I have a friend of mine who tells me that the all is the elect. Brian's smiling. No, I'm not talking about you. But uh, you probably don't believe that anyway. There's that too. Yes, all means everybody. Um, I, I don't buy into the, the elect at all on this. But uh, that all, I think the invitation is to all of humanity. I think, I think that, that context is there. And so in, in that regard, I would. I imagine he did. Yeah. Yeah, it's called universalism. Um, but nonetheless, there's, there's this. The thing is, because, and you see this with kids, don't you? Because they get away with something, they keep doing it. I think you, we saw it in the service, didn't we? Especially with semen and privates and airmen, right? Um, they would get away with stuff, so they would keep doing it until they got caught. And as a captain once told me who was prior enlisted, that's why I loved about this guy, he said to me, he says, there's the way that the Air Force says it's supposed to be done. There's the way it's done, and God help the person who gets caught. At least that was the Air Force. I don't. Other branches of the service, your mileage might have varied, right? Maybe. <laughs> Someone's staying very tight-lipped over there, and that's okay too. But uh, I thought we were going to get done. So I don't know if this was helpful or confusing. Um, it it is a little bit of a different translation. Again, if you are interested. Uh, let me encourage you to netbible.org and read some of the notes and see what they come up with and why they came up with what they did come up with. And by the way, they, in some of the notes they use the original words, which is very confusing if you're not used to reading Hebrew or Greek. I'm used to reading Greek. I'm not used to reading Hebrew, so it's confusing. Um, and remember, if it's written in Hebrew language, letters, read it backwards because that's how it's written. But sometimes they write it in English in the Hebrew pronunciation. So 